0: Hello and welcome to BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex True of BTN.com and this is another football-focused edition of the Take 10 Podcast. we got a jam-packed episode for you today. Two weeks in a row we've had three guests on the Take 10 Podcast. So you know, it's Halloween, got a treat for you guys, and uh, I'm liking the three-guest setup. So whenever I can do that, I'll definitely pack as much content, as much discussion as I can into these episodes. And we have three guests. Very special guest this week, and I think you'll enjoy the chats with each and every one of them. We talk Big Ten football, college football from a national perspective. We uh, talk a little bit of Big Ten radio, which has been launched recently on Sirius. And we talk some food as well. We have a couple of culinary experts, some Big Ten cuisine talk on the show. Um, definitely a nice change of pace. And, of course, we have our regularly scheduled static segment at the end with ETN researcher Harold Shelton, which we do every week here on the show. So our first two guests um, to go alongside Harold Shelton are, first off, Andy Staples, a Sports Illustrated National College football writer, uh, and also a contributor to SI Eats, so that's where the food talk comes in. Andy is definitely a prominent national writer, like we try to get in this show, and talk college football playoff rankings, we talk Big Ten, and we talk uh, the big college football game outside the Big Ten this weekend, LSU. In Alabama, which Andy will be at, so he gave us the rundown of what it's like in Death Valley to go to a game there. And I uh, also, like I said, talked plenty of food, plenty of cuisine as well, local fare down in Baton Rouge, so definitely it was uh, great to get him on, get his national perspective, and uh, get the flavor that only Andy Staples can provide here on the show. So after Andy brought in uh, former Iowa Hawkeye, former NFL defensive lineman Anthony Heron. Anthony's actually a host of a new Big Ten talk show on SiriusXM radio. If you haven't heard, the Big Ten has launched a SiriusXM channel, channel 372, featuring all Big Ten content. And uh, Anthony hosts the morning show with Chicago radio personality Jason Goff. So we got into how that show came about, what fans can expect from uh, that new programming and, and where to find it. And also some Big Ten Iowa college football playoff chatter as well so plenty of good stuff from anthony really enjoyed getting to know him having him on for uh, about 15 or 20 minutes and then like i mentioned at the top we closed it out with our btn researcher harold shelton as we always do so like i said jam-packed show we got andy staples first then anthony heron of sirius xm and harold shelton and we'll get to all those interviews in just a moment first uh, a couple of reminders you can subscribe to the show Not only on uh, Apple Podcasts, but on Google Play and Podbean as well. If you're looking for other subscription services, you can also find it on YouTube, on the Big Ten Network channel, which you should already be subscribed to if you like Big Ten Highlights, and you can find the podcast there as well. And one more reminder from our sponsor, for those out there who might be interested in getting to a career, building a career in sports, want to work at a place like the Big Ten Network, this is definitely for you. This is a message from the Northwestern University School of Professional Studies. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at sbs.northwestern.edu sports. All right, now we'll get to the first of three interviews here on this episode of the Take 10 podcast. I mentioned at the top, first interview is with Andy Staples of Sports Illustrated. A lot of fun talking to him. Definitely a funny guy and a very insightful, knowledgeable guy. And we got his uh, opinions on college football playoff, on the Big Ten, on the game he'll be at this weekend, LSU Alabama, and a whole lot more. So without further ado, we'll get right to it. It's the Take 10 Podcast discussion with Andy Staples. Very pleased to be joined by National College Football Writer for Sports Illustrated. He also talks football on SiriusXM Radio. It's Andy Staples. You can follow him on Twitter at Andy underscore Staples. Andy, thanks for joining me. How's it going? Oh, it's very good. It's always exciting when they
1: release the rankings that I kind of figured we're going to look like that. Yeah, exactly. A little little surprise between two, three, and four, but that's
2: about
0: it. Yeah, not a ton of surprises tonight, and uh, we're going to get to those rankings in depth in just a second, but... First off, I assume you'll be in a better mood on this podcast than uh, Oklahoma State head coach Mike Gundy was with the media Saturday. You won't be, like, dropping any fart noises on the mic tonight, will you?
1: I might. <laughs> I've been fart noising a lot on the radio because I, I've decided that that's a really appropriate response to, to questions. I, I just like, well, one, fart noises are never not funny. And two, it was very effective for Mike Gundy. So, you know, I, I, every once in a while I'll just throw a <laughs> in there and it works. I mean, it's... I, I wish more coaches would respond to questions with far noises. I got a kick out of it for really
0: sure. <laughs> it was hilarious. And, you know, I also liked how he ripped us losers on Twitter because that's pretty much what we are, you know. Well, in I mean, our mom's basement and all that. We're
1: laid on a payment, So it's all right. It's cool.
0: All right. So we'll he
1: get has, in, He has a Twitter account too.
0: We can all uh, at Mike Gundy and uh, let him know our displeasure because I'm sure, as he made it clear, uh, he, he <laughs> lurks on Twitter constantly. Uh, for all those people that are late on payments. So, with that, uh, with that out of the way, I'll get to some college football playoff analysis with the rankings coming out just about an hour ago. Um, and for those who are listening, we we're recording this on Tuesday. So, it's been a busy time in college football to say the least, uh, including the release of those rankings. So, we'll start there and will run through the top six real quick just for those who don't know. Uh, Alabama was number one, Clemson came in at number two, LSU at three, and Notre Dame at four. And then Michigan and Georgia are on the doorstep at five and six. So for, first off, just want to get your reaction. Any surprises or gripes out there? Uh, I know you said off the top that it wasn't too shocking, but I want to get your your initial thoughts on the debut CFP rankings.
1: I thought Notre Dame would be two or three. I was a little surprised they're four. So I think that, that tells us they better better go undefeated, which we, we thought anyway, but um, now I think we know they have to go undefeated to make the playoff. Um, I, it was interesting because – Okay, LSU's best one is Georgia. That's that's a very good win. That's the number sixteen according to the according to the committee. Well, Notre Dame's best one is Michigan, which is the number five team according to the committee. And you know, I, I don't know that LSU's other wins are all that more impressive, but they they got a lot of credit for Miami and Auburn when they happened, but Miami and Auburn haven't really held up their end of the bargain there. Now. I guess we could say the same thing for Notre Dame's money and Stanford. Stanford, it's not exactly its into the the bargain either, but it's just... I'm a little surprised. I I thought Notre Dame would probably... With with Clemson, I can understand because, especially the way they've played the last two weeks, they look like the only team that could really go toe-to-toe with Alabama. And so, I I don't necessarily have a problem with them at number two. Just the LSU-Notre Dame thing, I was a a little surprised by, but it doesn't really matter. I mean because Alabama and LSU are going to play Saturday,
2: and one of them is
0: going to move. Right. There's going to be some shuffling next week for sure. And like you mentioned, a few big games feature these teams uh, in this top ten or so this weekend, including top four. And we'll break those down here in just a moment. But uh, since these will obviously change a lot over the next month, or they could change a lot, I wanted to ask you about your final college football playoff predictions you wrote about this week in SI. Um, And since so much is is likely going to change – but your prediction for the Final Four currently stands at uh, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Michigan. Does that mean that for it to shake out that way, you're projecting Alabama, Notre Dame, and Clemson to, to go unbeaten, and then Michigan to win out the rest of the way?
1: Uh, pretty much, because if Clemson loses, I'm not sure they get in Although, that, you know, Texas A&M and South Carolina at a conference, that's going to help them a little bit. Because you know, we'll, we'll see how Texas A&M does that on the stretch, but... As long as they're, you know, eight and four or so, and, and South Carolina can can finish, you know, eight and ish then they're probably fine. I, although I don't know South Carolina's going to get eight and four, but that, that's going to be the the committee will respect that enough, even though the schedule of Clemson played in the ACC is not that great because the ACC is not that great this year. But to be honest, I don't see who beats them, you know. But I would have said the same. I would have said I, I didn't see Syracuse beating last year or Pitt beating them the year before, but, um, you know, unless, unless it's Boston College on the road, I just don't know that anybody can can hang with them right now, so, uh, yeah, I mean, Alabama, I'm, I'm assuming they beat LSU this weekend, maybe I'm wrong, you know, they, they really have not played a good defense yet, they've not even played really a decent defense yet, so, they're going to play a good one this weekend, and, and we'll see if Tua is as great as we think he is, Uh, and, you know, we did see him against a really good defense coming off the bench cold in the national championship game, and he did just fine. So I, I, I'm fairly confident that they're going to be okay. But, yeah, Notre Dame is the, is the one. I have them in, in there, projected to, to be in there, but, I mean, it is hard to go undefeated, and there's some tricky games coming up, including at
0: Northwestern this weekend. Yeah, those two games you highlighted, definitely excited to get into those deeper in just a moment here. But before we look ahead to this upcoming weekend. I wanted to get to another thing you wrote about in SI this week about college football playoff contenders and college football contenders using a get-right game to kind of get back in contention and to wrinkle out or iron out some wrinkles they've had um, so far this year. So can you kind of explain the get-right game concept for those who haven't read that piece?
1: Well, a get-right game is when you've had some, some problems and then you have that game where everything sort of clicks into place. And so a a great example of that would be Georgia beating Florida this weekend. The last time we saw Georgia, they were getting beat by 20 at LSU. And we were like, wow, we really, really overrated this team. And uh, are we sure they're that good? Should Jake Fromm get benched and Justin Fields play more? And perhaps it was a fairly young team, which Georgia is a fairly young team. They're talented, but they're very young. Having some flaws exposed, and then after having a bye week to, to work on those flaws, they corrected a lot of them and went and beat a pretty good team by, you know, 21 points. So I think I think that's the kind of the quintessential one. West Virginia had one against Baylor last week because I mean, if you saw the West Virginia Iowa State taking, West Virginia looked awful. And it was shocking to see that offense get shut down like that, but then they go they play against Baylor and they're back to normal. You know, Will Greer's just chucking it, and David Sills is, is catching touchdown passes. and it, it's, it's what it's supposed to look like. So that's what that is. I, I, I'd say that the one that's in prime position that they really need one, and they may get it this weekend, is Ohio State playing Nebraska. Because obviously the last time we saw Ohio State on the field was against Purdue. They got smashed by 29 points. Nebraska is obviously not as talented as Ohio State. Should not be able to hang with Ohio State. If Ohio State has been correcting flaws that were exposed in the first part of the season then they should smash Nebraska now we'll, we'll see if that actually happens but uh, you know if, if they if they have corrected some issues then it should be one of those games where they win comfortably and everybody's happy and everybody stops asking questions I mean this has been a lot of questions around Ohio State because of what happened in the Purdue game and, and they they got they got pretty existential there for a while So uh, they need to get right game And then I guarantee Everything will seem much better Come Sunday
0: Right and you look ahead for Ohio State And, and if they can win The rest of their games You have to think a one loss Ohio State team Would be back in the thick of that playoff discussion If they went out right Because last year oh, yeah. they were right in it when they had two losses And one of those losses was a blowout Like the <laughs> Purdue one this year So they'd be in that don't you think
1: I do. And now the question is, how will the committee view a one-loss Ohio State against a one-loss Oklahoma? Because that's that's another question. We, we've assumed all year that the Big Ten is just better than the Big 12, and that whoever comes out of the Big Ten, if they have one loss or zero losses, they're in the playoff. Now... You know, if Notre Dame, Notre Dame going undefeated is really kind of the sticky wicket there because if Notre Dame loses, there's probably not even a debate. It's probably like one loss Big Ten champ, sure. One loss Big Twelve champ, go for it. But then if you if Notre Dame goes undefeated and Alabama and Clemson are both in there, you got to choose, and it's going to be interesting to see who they choose because you got the, the Big Ten who got left out of the playoff last year. You have got the Big Twelve who's been left out of the playoff twice already. They can get pretty pretty nasty either way
0: definitely and i want to combine this college football playoff analysis from you with kind of a reflection on week nine and a look ahead to this weekend because there are a handful of games like we talked about with college football playoff implications this weekend and uh there were some results last weekend that featured those teams that we can kind of use to segue into that discussion so i want to start outside the big 10 and um especially for fans that Watch primarily Big Ten football, I might be surprised to see Kentucky at number nine in these uh, CFP rankings because they've been the. An hour and a half south of Ohio. I know, (laughs) know, but you think Kentucky, you think hoops. I mean, come on, Andy, you know know. what I mean.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they they are. They've been really good this year. So great defense, good offensive line, fantastic running back in Benny Snell. But their offense has been very one-dimensional of late, and I think that's the concern against Georgia. Now, this game against Georgia, and this is really weird for me to say this Kentucky is playing for the SEC East title this weekend, which I, I never thought I'd actually say, but they are doing it. Whoever wins the Kentucky Georgia game wins the SEC East. And Kentucky, to do that, is going to need to get a lot more through the air from Terry Wilson because Georgia, while it, probably its biggest weakness on defense is getting run on up the middle. If you can't throw it all, they'll just load the box, and they can figure out the getting run apart. But if you aren't throwing the ball pretty well, which, you know, you go back to the Florida game, and Terry Wilson was, was throwing it pretty well. They, they seemed like a much more dynamic offense. And you play like that, you might be able to blend this game. And it's certainly going to be rocking This, this is going to be the biggest game in Lexington in forever. Uh, you know, you you have, probably have to go back to when Bear Bryant was Kentucky's coach to find a game that was bigger than this. So it, it's going to be a great atmosphere there. And, you know, for those who don't know, Kentucky football fans are actually super loyal. Like, that, everybody assumes that they only care about basketball there. They actually care a lot about football. just haven't had a lot to cheer about. But they've shown up pretty consistently over the years, despite the fact that they're their team kicks them in the teeth every time uh, so I think it's going to be a really exciting weekend in Lexington I just don't know how happy the home crowd's going to be unless Perry Wilson has maybe the game of his life throwing the ball because I just Georgia is the more talented team and should win this game but you know a multi-dimensional Kentucky offense changes the math on us
0: yeah the biggest game in Lexington in a while is still going to be the second biggest game in the SEC this weekend, and I want to get to that last because that's the game you're going to be at, and I want to close with it, but first I want to talk uh, some Big Ten games and the implications uh, from last weekend and going into the, the weekend ahead. So, we'll start with Northwestern, who beat Wisconsin 31-17, giving them a one-and-a-half game lead in the Big Ten West, which I'm just going to start there. First off, like if I told you after Northwestern lost to Akron this year that this would be the case, you know, less than a month of the season remaining, what would your reaction have been?
1: Wait. Well, it, let's let's go back. Northwestern just lost to Akron, and Purdue just lost to Eastern Michigan, and they're both mathematically still in it. And one of them is a game and a half ahead of everybody else. Driver's seat. <laughs> I would have told you you were insane. And uh, I, just, I, I thought this was going to be Wisconsin or Iowa's division to win, and I, it still may be, because obviously a lot of West-on-West West action left to be played, but... Or, excuse me Northwestern is a, is a super up and down team and that's why I think this Notre Dame game at Ryan Field is really interesting because if they get up Northwestern playing as well as it can you know the northwestern that we've seen against Michigan State the Northwestern we saw last weekend I think there's a chance that they beat north uh, Notre Dame you know I, I don't I don't know. But I would bet they're in this game, and and there's a chance that they win it. So, and then you've got then they got to beat Iowa, and if they can beat Iowa, I don't I don't know how anybody catches them because they're gonna they're gonna beat Minnesota and Illinois. I think. I mean, they did lose to Akron, but Minnesota is the one I, I I might worry about at Minnesota. Obviously, they're playing a ton of freshmen there, but. I've been impressed with the way those young guys are playing. And so, so you know, maybe that one. But, I mean, I like Northwestern. If they can beat Iowa to win the division.
0: Yeah, I wanted to get your take on on Northwestern. I don't know if
1: they can beat Iowa, though. I, I still may kind of favor Iowa on that front. But the thing is, Iowa still needs Wisconsin. So not my now.
0: Why do you think Northwestern's range of outcomes is so wide? Like, they nearly lost to Rutgers just a week before they beat Wisconsin this past weekend. How do you, how do you explain that? I,
1: I can't. I can't. And... They should have lost to Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska had them. They went 99 yards in a minute. I, I have no idea. I, I wish I wish I could tell you. Now, it, it's... Northwestern teams have, have started slow these past few years. So maybe that's it. I mean, you know, Fitz's teams sometimes start slow. This one, they happened to win the road game at Purdue, which I, I thought they might lose that one just because Purdue was going to be you know, off the charts height for that game. I did not expect them to lose the next three. And the thing is, you know, they played Michigan so tough. And when you look back on that game now, when you watched it, you were like, ooh,
2: this may be a sign that there's something wrong with Michigan. Now you're like, you know what? That score seems about
0: right. And who knows? Maybe it was the first two meetings. Yeah, and you know, we talk about these close calls, but Northwestern's won twelve of thirteen Big Ten games now. Uh, I know, it's, just it's, to think it's about. crazy.
1: It's not fluky. Uh, it just takes a while to get them going for some reason.
0: All right, well, you mentioned that you think Northwestern has a chance if they can uh, muck it up against Notre Dame this weekend under the lights at Ryan Field. And, and you wrote, wrote last week for SI kind of a piece that breaks down Notre Dame's remaining schedule and kind of the wild travel that schedule entails the rest of the way. So who do you think the bigger remaining threat to Notre Dame is? Uh, the Wildcats this weekend – Syracuse down the line, or, or maybe even if Florida State wakes up for a game. Although I don't see that happening.
1: Yeah, I, I'd say it's Syracuse and Yankee Stadium, and that's why the, the Notre Dame people are kind of upset that they gave that home game away, and the fans are like, well, why are we playing this in Notre Dame Stadium? Well, I mean, this is this is how Notre Dame operates. They they it's fan service for one of their larger alumni bases in New York, and so you know I don't think they thought of that when they scheduled the game. They didn't think about oh got to try to protect an undefeated record and then you don't want to be on you know away from home for the last five games but yeah you know, i i just i also don't think they thought Syracuse would be this good and i don't think that's fluky either i think Dino babers has been building up to that point and eric dungy is a really good quarterback um you know we, we kind of wondered what would happen if eric dungy could stay healthy for an entire season because the last two years he's gotten hurt mid-year they've fallen way off after he got hurt you know this year he he's still slinging so he, he's gotten dinged up he's had to come out a couple times but uh you know he was he was slinging against he's state last saturday and i think that's a team that could jump all over you score some points and then put you in comeback mode and it's hard i mean it, they pushed Clemson as far as Clemson could go. Clemson almost broke against them. You know, it took their <laughs> the guy who was the four-string quarterback in spring practice converting a fourth and six to, to make them win that game. So I, I think Syracuse would be the one. If, if any of these guys is going to knock our name off, I think I think it's Syracuse. The I mean, USC thing's interesting too. Their last game is at USC, and before yesterday, I said there's no chance USC wins that game, but USC made some pretty big staff changes yesterday they fired the offensive line coach and Clay Helton took over play calling from offensive coordinator team Martin if they are more dynamic on offense and by that I mean they can actually run the ball they might have a shot against Notre Dame too but I want to see them play and they have three games they should win before that they play Oregon State they play Cal and they play UCLA I want to see them prove it against some of those teams before I start to think they might have a shot against
2: Notre Dame
0: well, Andy, I liked your analysis of uh, Syracuse and Notre Dame, but I did not hear you factor in the pinstripe uniforms North- Notre Dame's supposed I, to wear. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I was going to get one your thoughts on those.
1: I, I realize they are paying homage to the Yankees, but you have that iconic helmet. Wear a gold
0: home. <laughs> one more uh, thought on Notre Dame before we move on. If you're a Michigan fan from that perspective, who are you rooting for here between uh, Notre Dame and Northwestern? I know you kind of said that Notre I, Dame, you, I they're I not going to get in with one I rooting for Notre
1: Dame. Honestly, if you're Michigan, I think you keep rooting for Notre Dame because, well, I don't know. Here's my problem. If you've got a 12-1 and Big Ten champ Michigan and an 11-1 Notre Dame that beat Michigan, I might put Notre Dame in over Michigan because they played and Notre Dame won. And you could say, well, Michigan's evolved into a different team. Well, so is Notre Dame. Notre Dame's offense is way better than when they played Michigan. So, that's one of those things where I I don't I don't know what I'd want if I'm I I feel like if Michigan just keeps winning they're going to be okay because like I mentioned a, a twelve and one Big tw- Big Twelve champ Oklahoma I'm not sure Oklahoma can get through that league without losing another game it's it's just the Big Twelve is pretty good at the top and so it's it's quite possible Oklahoma loses again so. I just If I'm Michigan, just keep winning, and, and everything will probably work itself out. But, yeah, it's – I don't know. It's, it's a weird one because you don't really want to be sitting there with one loss, and Notre Dame has one loss, and they beat you. So, you know, Michigan can't do anything about the loss now, but I think if, if Notre Dame's undefeated in the playoff, and Michigan is the team that was driving to potentially tie the game at Notre Dame, beginning of the season, and that's the only game they lost, I think that would actually probably buoy Michigan. That
0: would probably help. Well, Michigan's got obviously a big one this weekend against Penn State. Penn State's coming off a win, close win, against Iowa. And and did that performance for you, watching Penn State hold on against Iowa, inspire more confidence in their chances to beat Michigan? Because, you know, last year they throttled the Wolverines. So what do do you think about uh, Penn State's chances to upset Michigan this weekend?
1: Well, I... So... I thought I was going to beat Penn State going into the game. I, I, I After Penn State lost to Michigan State, I was kind of wondering, all right, what is this team right now, and, and where are their heads at? And then they hung on. And, I mean, that was a good game against Iowa. They played very well. And I, it's interesting because, you know, the way Iowa and Michigan play now is sort of the changeup in college football. It used to be that's what everybody did. But now it's, it's the unusual thing. So the fact that your defense got to see that beforehand is probably a helpful thing. Now, Shea Patterson is much more mobile than Nathan Stanley, but conceptually it's, it's not as different as say playing against Northwestern or, or playing against some of these other, these other programs that or you know, what Nebraska runs now or what Ohio state runs. So, you know, it, it helps your defensive players with their fits. I mean, it, it's just they will be more accustomed to it, so that should be helpful. And the fact that they beat a team as good as Iowa suggests, I think, that they can compete with Michigan. Now the difference is that game's in Ann Arbor. You know, I realized Penn State shredded Michigan's defense last year, but they had Saquon Barkley, uh, they had Mike Gesicki. There was, was pretty a Deion Hamilton. This is a very loaded skill position team. This team is not quite that loaded in the skill positions. It's still good, but it is not. It is not the same. So, Penn State's defense is going to have to play better. I mean, well, if it plays as well as it did last year, it's going to be great. But my guess is improved Michigan offensive line plus Shea Patterson. Michigan is going to score some points. So, you know, Penn State is going to have to score and keep up with them. I'm not sure they can with the players they have against this defense. But I give them a lot bigger chance now
0: after watching them against Iowa than I would have a week earlier. Alright Andy, well, we've kind of been teasing it all Podcast here, now we'll get to uh, The biggest game In college football this weekend, that's number one Alabama visiting number three LSU For a night game, in Death Valley And uh, you'll be there, right? I will be there
1: uh, So I missed the 2016 game But I've been at all at all The other Alabama LSU games In Baton Rouge since 2010 And they've been close They're, You know Alabama has has been the better team most of the time, but that atmosphere, you know, the talent on LSU team, it, it tends to create a close game. And you know, this this year is a little bit different because we've seen Alabama look different than they have in pretty much all of the Saban era. You know, we're used to Alabama having stuff game defense, and and for the most part, they still do. But with two at quarterback. They're so much more dynamic on offense. I mean, they would before they would try to run you to death. They play action a little bit, uh, or after they kind of made the the philosophical switch, they tempo you. They they hit you with jet sweeps when they had uh, when they had Blake Sims at quarterback. When they had Jalen Hurts as their starting quarterback, um, now it feels like they have everything in the arsenal, and they have a quarterback who can put the ball in windows that. Pretty much nobody else in the country can. And so it's going to be really incumbent upon LSU's corners to cover really well against Alabama's receivers uh, because they're going to be stuck in a lot of one-on-one matchups. because Alabama's got a good offensive line. They've got really good backs. You are going to have to put guys in the box and, and hope to, to limit that run game. And if you can cover one-on-one, then maybe you can get some pressure onto them. We haven't seen Tua really stressed All season, LSU may be able to stress them a little bit, and if they can, then maybe there's an interception or two, then maybe there's a momentum swing. I, I, and again, I don't know if LSU's offense can keep up. You know, I, I like Joe Burrow. I think he's done a really good job for them this year, but this defense will be better than any defense they've played so far, and I just, I don't know that they're going to be able to keep up because it used to be that you know the score would be down because Alabama's not trying to blow you out. Alabama's trying to control the ball. Now it feels like Alabama can score every time it touches the ball. So that's the part I worry about with LSU, just maybe not having the firepower on offense to keep up.
0: Yeah, realistically, if you had to put a number on it, uh, what are the chances LSU pulls it off? Just because everybody, you know, from the outside, from a Big Ten perspective, everyone hypes up Alabama as this machine. That is unlikely to be stopped uh, before the college football playoffs. So, wh- what do you think LSU's odds are? I'd say about twenty-five percent. All right. Um, and before we wrap up, I, I know since you're going to be in Death Valley, I got to get your take on the tailgating scene there because I've heard mm-hmm. great things. I know I'm sure you've sampled it. Uh, yeah, it's it's known as you know the the best tailgating scene in college football. What makes it so great? Well.
1: They're probably more interested in the tailgate than the game. And it's funny because that's the, the reputation Ole Miss has. But Ole Miss tailgating is not as good. Uh, you're not allowed to, to cook in the Grove at Ole Miss. LSU, they're cooking. Everybody's cooking. And they're making all kinds of different things. It's not just the usual um, what you'd expect, the gumbo, the, the crawfish, étouffée, the boudin. There's all that. But then you've got Christ cooking steaks. You got people making barbecue. You got, you got guys that that just, they get these ice sculptures and then they pour vodka down the ice sculptures and they have people sitting there with their mouths at the bottom of the ice sculptures and letting it slide in there. It's crazy. They're they're just insane. They throw a bigger, better party than everyone else. And they know it. And there will be a hundred thousand people inside the stadium and probably another hundred thousand outside the stadium.
0: Sounds like paradise (laughs) to be honest. And, uh, since you're a food aficionado, for those who don't know, I got to get your take on the best food down in Baton Rouge. I'm guessing it's something with a Cajun tinge to it, but I'll defer to the expert. What's what's good to actually, down there? It's
1: actually it's actually not. I love pla- there's a place called Rufino's that I love. That they, they do a little bit of everything. Um, the times I've I've gone, they've had a 64 ounce bone prime rib that uh, that was exquisite. Uh, I was I was very happy with that. Uh, there's another place called City Pork that's more of like a you know, lunch place, deli, sandwich shop, and I mean, that's a kind of you, you go go there get a you get a bon me now. If any Vietnamese and in Baton Rouge, yeah, it's it's really good. <laughs> um, and then they got decent barbecue that uh, across the Mississippi River in uh, I think it's called Port Port Arthur. Um, there's a place called Kuyans uh, that's, that's really good. So I mean, it, it's it's one of those places that you will find something great to eat pretty much everywhere you step. Um, if you want like the traditional Louisiana meal, there's a place called Mike Anderson's which is where all the old heads in Baton Rouge go. And um, it's it's the if like if LSU has a, a big official visit weekend, they're taking the player the, the recruits to Mike Anderson's. Um, that's where you get your, your seafood, that's where you get your crawfish, that's where you get your your etouffee, your gumbo. So I mean, it's it's, it's a great town to, to get really full in.
0: So with all the distractions and the food and the tailgates and everything that surrounds the environment there, how do you drag yourself into the game if you're covering it? Because you got to get in there at some point before kick, right? Well,
1: if you've never been to an Alabama-LSU game in Baton Rouge, well, actually, they're great in Tuscaloosa too, but the Alabama-LSU games in Baton Rouge, just a completely different atmosphere. It's one of those, if someone asked me, what I, I can go to one college football game for my entire life, what should I go to? I would tell them go to an Alabama LSU game to Baton Rouge. The, the only problem is, once you've been to one, it spoils you for all other games. Every other game you go to, you're like, no, that's it? <laughs> because it, the, in terms of the intensity, uh, the talent on the field, the hype in the crowd, there is no comparison. Nothing comes close and everybody always says, well, you're crazy, that's not, and then they go to their first, and they're like, I get
0: it, okay, you're right, it's, it's just, it's just different. So, if the atmosphere in the game, you know, exceeds everywhere else you've been, I want to hear about the food uh, everywhere else you've been this season, what's the best food you've had uh, in any of your stops this year, I assume you've, you've, taking some other trips uh besides baton rouge this year
1: absolutely now i'll give you uh, i'll give you one from last week and i haven't written about this one yet uh i found this spot in big 10 country actually uh not too far from northwestern's campus actually right on the corner of loyola chicago's campus so there's a place called dock in um in, it's not rogers park it's the neighborhood right next to rogers park but it's basically yeah. right next to loyola
0: chicago yeah uptown maybe
1: uh, no, I think it's called
0: uh, Edgewater. Edgewater.
1: Edgewater. Edgewater. Yep. Edgewater. Yep. So it's Korean wings. And that so the, the, I guess, traditional Korean wing sauce is like a soy, ginger, garlic sauce. It is so addictive. These are some of the best wings I have ever had in my life. They, they, they don't fry, they don't batter them too much. Like, it's not like a, po- a piece of Popeye's fried chicken or something. It's. It's a very thin, crispy wing, and then they put this sauce on it, and, and then, I don't know where they get these wings from, like mutant chickens, <laughs> biggest wings you've ever seen in your life, and they do the whole wing. You get the drummy and the flat still connected, and it's just incredible. I was I was shocked, you know, because I, I, I was at little Chicago doing a story, uh, catching up with Sister Jean, and had a couple minutes between doing some interviews and I, I just popped up Yelp and it's there was this place with like 500 five star reviews, .3 mile walk away. I was like, oh, well, I gotta try this. And it was outstanding. So if you're in Chicago and you want some wings, doc.
0: I'm in Chicago and it's probably only a few miles away from where I'm sitting right now so I'll have to check it out. There's another wing place, I don't know if you've been in that area, it's in Evanston called uh, Buffalo Joe's, have you heard of that? I've heard of it, I, I have not been there, I haven't been to there's a, there's
1: a few places I still need to try, and I'll have to add that one to the list.
0: All right, speaking of good food in Big Ten country, what's the best food you've had uh, in the Big Ten that you can remember?
1: Woo. that's tough. Like, there's so many good places.
0: Are some of your um, favorites, then?
1: I, I love the burgers at Dottie Dumplings Dowry in, in Madison. Those are outstanding. I also got these, um, these little Russian dumplings last time I was in Madison. Hold on, I gotta, I gotta look, I have to get on my computer and look up the, the name of the place. It's the called like Paul's Pelmani or something like that. Um, but so it's like seven bucks for this giant serving of these dumplings that are, they're, you know, stuffed with meat and then they're
2: boiled and they, they put this unbelievable mixture of sauce
1: and herbs over it. It's called Paul's Palmini, And, uh, it's just sort of at the end of, it's on Gilman Street, but you're, as you're walking down State Street away from the university toward the Capitol, uh, right before you get to that area right near the Capitol, you just kind of turn right. It's right there. Um, but that was, that was outstanding. Um, Lead Belly in Lincoln is, is fantastic. And I had never had an honest age burger before my last trip to Lincoln. That's, that's another good spot. There's, I think there's three of them in Lincoln now. Uh, they just really creative burgers and uh, great milkshakes.
0: Yeah, I've been to Lead Belly in Lincoln, and it's definitely delicious. Have you heard of the uh, Campus Eats show that we do on BTN? We need to get you on as like, a contributor or something like that. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, any Anytime. <laughs> I'd be glad to. I, anytime that I, I, I get to go eat good food. Oh, I, and special shout-out to the uh, the Jerky at Beer Camp, which is uh, probably like half a mile from Michigan Stadium. And every time I'm in Ann Arbor, I
2: load up on beef jerky there.
0: All right, he just said a one more food question. It's kind of a national food debate that uh will, will never end but this time of year being what it is with halloween and all that I need your opinion is candy corn good or is it bad it's awful
1: it's one of the worst substances <laughs> that I, it's not man-made or it's not it's not natural for sure i have no idea what it is but it's it is gross i don't i don't want it when i'm tricking when i'm out with the kids tomorrow and uh my hand happens to go into their buckets and take some candy There will be no candy corn taken. I promise
0: you that. Andy, this podcast is going so well until that question. I'm a candy corn fan. How dare you? (laughs) But, uh, Andy, I appreciate your food insight. I appreciate your football insight. That's all I got for you. Really appreciate the time. And uh, it'll be fun to follow the rest of the college football season and follow your work along the way. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks a lot to Andy for joining me. I really enjoyed chatting with him. And I really enjoyed chatting with my next guest as well. And that is Anthony Heron, the former Iowa Hawkeye, a man of many roles in sports media, including a host of a Big Ten show that just launched on Sirius XM Radio, the Big Ten This Morning show on Channel 372. Let Anthony tell you all about it, um, what he's doing with the conference, uh, how it's partnered with the network and all that good stuff. And we'll talk college football as well in the next interview with Anthony Heron. That interview starts right now. Very pleased to be joined by former Iowa Hawkeye star, former defensive lineman in the NFL. He's also a former BTN commentator and current host of the new Big Ten This Morning show on Sirius XM Radio, along with an array of other sports media responsibilities. It's Anthony Heron. Anthony, first off, congrats on the new uh, Big Ten show, and thanks for joining me.
2: Alex, I appreciate you having me on the show. Certainly uh, been a fun time. I'm usually fairly busy during the football season, but this year added a couple of new gigs to, to my plate. And uh, we were getting the timing of things figured out, myself, my wife, my one-year-old son. But uh, to do Big Ten radio every morning, it's been a great time so
0: far. For sure, and I'm glad you could squeeze me in here today. And, and when I heard uh, the Big Ten was joining the SEC, the ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, and getting into the SiriusXM XM game, I was excited because, first off, you know, there can never be enough Big Ten talk, and I was even more excited because I've been a fan of yours and, and your co-host, Jason Goff, from your guys' contributions on Chicago's 670, the score airwaves, so just right off the bat now, with your show and its uh, second week here, just fill us all in what the show's all about, when it airs, and when we can find it, and what fans can expect from you guys on uh, that morning show.
2: Well, we're on SiriusXM channel 372, and our show airs 7 to 10 Eastern time in the morning, uh every Monday through Friday. And for myself and Jason, as a reference, we both... I got to work at 670 Score, and I actually used to make a lot of appearances on Jason's show when he was a drive time host on the score. And you know, we've both did it at Foxbury 2 here in Chicago quite a bit together over the years, also. And we've always had a really fun time when we're on the air together, whether that's television or radio. And so when this opportunity came up for us to sort of join forces and be able to do a show together every day and to talk, Big Ten football, it was great because, you know, for for us, we have a, one, we're we're a similar age, we're both in our late 30s, and so we have a a similar sense of humor as well, and we both want the the opportunity to inform people about the Big Ten Conference in this particular show, but in general, we're informing folks about sports when we're on the air. We both like to do it in a a fairly lighthearted, entertaining way. We crack each other up when we're just talking, when we're hanging out, when we're on the air, so the show itself, we're going to talk a lot of Big Ten sports, mainly football and basketball, of course, uh, being the, the two most uh, interest-driving sports there. But overall, there's going to be a lot of laps that already have been so far. We're going to work in a lot of pop culture and talk a lot about my, my sports travels that I tend to have on a weekly basis and we're going to mix in things from both the collegiate and professional level that are of interest to us because we tend to think we have a broad spectrum of interest that we think a lot of listeners would be interested in.
0: Yeah and if you could get into it a little bit how were you and Jason approached with this opportunity and kind of how did it all come together?
2: So at SiriusXM, as you sort of referenced, Alex, there's a number of other conference networks that have begun. You know, the, the SEC has a channel, the, the ACC has a channel, the Pac-12 has a channel, and it, it just makes sense. You know, I was with the Big Ten Network through the initial years of their existence, and, you know, if, if there's any fan base that that craves exclusive content, whether television or radio, it's Big Ten fans. And Jason's from Evanston. And so he grew up following and knowing a lot about Northwestern athletics and about the Big Ten. And of course, me being from the, the Chicago area as well and playing Big Ten football at Iowa, our sensibilities uh, really suit the Big Ten conference. And the show itself, when, uh, you know, for me, I, I call some, some football for the Pac 12 network and the and series XM, you know, they proposed me about that. At one point, things didn't quite you know, completely suit my schedule to do that on a consistent basis with the you know, the shows being based off of Pacific Time and the Pac-12 channel and how that would work out. But when the Big Ten channel came up, you know, it, was, it was really exciting because for me it's an opportunity to return to consistently covering my home conference. I've still talked plenty of Big Ten sports over the years, but to do it morning in and morning out where a guy as talented and as hilarious as Jason Goff, it was an opportunity when it came up, regardless of how busy the rest of my schedule is. the fact, that it's 6 to 9 every morning. That's before some of my other media obligations that I have in the industry at this point. So it, it suited me, and, and Jason felt a, a similar manner It suited him. So when the show started, it, it launched uh, you know just last Monday, so we're, we're just barely two weeks in at this point. And uh, it, it's been a great time. It's only going to get bigger and better for everybody. we have already had a number of Big Ten head coaches on, I know a number of the head coaches and the assistant coaches around the conference. are going to look to get some Big Ten players into the mix on the show as well. And I think the show debuted at a great time as well. Our very first show, our first Monday, was after Purdue had upset Ohio State and after the Spartan walk made national news when uh, the Wolverines and the Spartans got into a pregame and Devin Bush, you know, was uh, – as. as myself and Jason sort of comically referred to him. He's one of the Stay Ready All-Stars. You know, he is, he is ready to go anytime somebody you know wants to get chesty with him. So we had a great time with that in the, the debut week that we had on the network.
0: Yeah, I love that reference. Uh, I think I've definitely heard that in the score of Stay Ready All-Stars. You know, ready to throw them hands when, when you need to. Uh, just out of curiosity, Anthony, what time are you waking up to get on the air at uh, 6 a.m. Chicago time here?
2: I get up about 5, anywhere from 5 to 5.15. And if the show were maybe an hour later, uh, central time, as far as being local time for me, I probably wouldn't even need to set an alarm clock because I do have a one-year-old son, and he's gotten myself and my wife into a pattern where we used to wake it up at a certain hour of day uh, to make sure we got him properly taken care of. But in fact, it's a 6 a.m. start here locally, but I do make sure my clock is set for five or 515 and I get up and participate. Now unfortunately for me, I've never been a big sleeper anyway so regardless of my travels every weekend calling football games or you know, the other responsibilities I have in my bears coverage here and you know some of the other things I do with outlets around the country. If I only get a few hours of sleep at night, I've always operated fairly well from that standpoint, anyway. So while my wife has been, uh, she's been somewhat concerned about whether or not I'm going to find a way to get enough hours in throughout the week to uh, to kind of suit what I do. She was worried about my sleep patterns far before I I started. Big Ten this morning, and right now we're, we're just trying to figure out what's going to make sense of the hashtag. Me and Jason, you know, I've been using the full Big Ten this morning, I've been using hashtag Big AM, you know, with the one in there, obviously, so I think as we kind of get the show imaging and branding together, we're going to be able to have some fun
0: with it. All right, well, the role definitely uh, suits you well, then, if you got a baby at home and, and don't sleep much anyway, and we definitely encourage fans to check out Anthony and Jason on uh, Big Ten this morning and the rest of the talent over on the Big Ten's new Sirius Channel 372. And Anthony, uh, before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit of college football, since that's what you've been doing over on Big Ten this morning, Uh, and the debut of the season's college football rankings, uh, college football playoff rankings, which dropped Tuesday night. First off, I want to get your initial thoughts, if you had any issues with the CFP's initial rankings. Uh, One point of interest to me was Notre Dame being at four behind a one-loss LSU team. That was probably the most surprising thing, in my opinion, but I wanted to get your input if you had any surprises or uh, complaints about the debut rankings.
2: I wouldn't say there was any really big surprises. I I did think that if anything, Notre Dame was perhaps going to be a place higher than anticipated, as opposed to a place lower. You know, Notre Dame coming in at number four, I thought perhaps we'd see the Irish as high as number two. Not only the undefeated record, but their strength strength of schedule and strength of record were both, you know, pretty impressive coming into things as well. And it seems a committee uh, led by Rob Mullins, the Oregon athletic director, that you know, perhaps they felt like just the eye test was something that gave LSU an edge as a one-loss team, with their loss being to Florida, who the committee put at number eleven. I do think Ohio State at number ten is a squad right now, that I'm not as concerned about the Buckeyes as some other folks might be at this point. You know, I do think that Ohio State, even though they're at number ten in the polls, they're still going to have an opportunity to a climb the, the college football rankings as the season kind of winds down here because there's, there's some meat left on the bone for the Buckeyes with the schedule upcoming, and that's partly assuming if they end up winning out, if they end up making the Big Ten championship game, so you've got a quality Michigan State squad ahead of them, you've got Michigan, of course, in the game at the end of the season, and if Ohio State wins through that point, then they would make the Big Ten championship game in likely space, what I assume would be a ranked squad from the Big Ten West, whether that be Northwestern, For my Iowa Hawkeyes. So the Buckeyes, I don't think they're the 10th best team in the country. I think by the end of the season they've got a great shot of being higher than that because we've seen here in recent years when Ohio State has that one loss, they tend to respond in fairly strong fashion. But I should, for full disclosure, point out that I put it on on Twitter and Instagram at Big Ant Heron. I picked Michigan during the preseason slate to win the Big Ten. So I think the Wolverines are at least putting me in a pretty strong position right here to to feel like I'm sort of a, a suit with
0: what the Wolverines have gotten done this season. Right. It's looking like a good pick at this point. and And uh, like you said, heading to the next week's rankings, the Big Ten could have a big impact on how that plays out, especially if Northwestern can uh, knock off Notre Dame. And, and if Michigan beats Penn State, they'll probably slide into that number 4 spot. And LSU would likely drop out if they lose. But regardless, you know, it's a long way to go with this process All it is is talk at this point, so uh, we'll move on real quick. And before I let you go, uh, can't let you get out of here without getting a couple of IO questions in. Since you are former Hawkeye, and you were on, yeah, yeah, you know, Kirk Ferentz's first squad in 1999. Kirk's now in his 20th season, so apologies if that dates you a little bit there, Anthony. But uh, (laughs) how are the results so far off the bat from this 2018 Iowa team sitting at six and two, aligned with your expectations for them entering this season?
2: I've been pleased with Iowa this season. You know, I mean, it's, 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 not everyone's going to go undefeated, and so it, it seems at this point like the most, the most fervent, the most energetic fan bases, which Iowa would count themselves amongst, There's certainly Hawkeye fans out there who who feel disappointed with the couple of losses in there. You know, against the Wisconsin team while they were still at full strength with Alex Hornibrook quarterback, and you know they had all their defensive backs on the field, or at least a, a stronger version of the secondary. And in uh, Penn State this past weekend, obviously some missed opportunities in state college for the Hawkeyes in that game. But when you go on the road to an environment like that and you don't execute, there were some self inflicted wounds that the Hawkeyes had that they weren't able to overcome at the end of the game. But that's just part of the deal in college football. It wasn't like there was anyone who. You know, the referees didn't blow any major calls that I felt like ended up in the end having a major outcome on the full scope of the game. And Nate Stanley, for the most part, has been excellent this season. I do see him recovering from the uh, the performance he had at State College. And it's nice to see here in recent weeks they're starting to get that run game going. Three sets backs, three consecutive weeks over 90 yards rushing. So that said something to me. And when you can couple, especially in the month of November, the run game, with timely passing attacks and the way I was playing defense, their defensive front is one of the best in the Big Ten, one of the best in the country. So I do think you know we're likely to see a fairly strong stretch run for the Hawkeyes. And while a lot of folks are pointing out that Northwestern, the Wildcats, led by Pat Fitzgerald, that they you know control their own destiny, you know for the term that folks like to use, the Iowa Hawkeyes with. Northwestern on their calendar a couple of weeks from now, if they went out as a, currently a two-loss team, Northwestern as a one-loss team, Iowa will be the team that's able to represent the West in the Big Ten championship game. So it's not just as simple as winning out for only one squad. Iowa still finds themselves in that position as well.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that strong Iowa defensive front and as a former Hawkeye defensive lineman yourself, how do you evaluate this current crop of uh, you know the big uglies, as they say, uh, on that defensive line, including... Mm-hmm. AJ Epinesa, Parker Hesse, and that squad.
2: Well, it's so long. That's the different thing. You know, going back multiple decades here, you know, it was 20 years ago when I was at Iowa. I ended up playing for the Hawkeyes as a 17 year old true freshman and on the defensive line at the age I was at when I came into college football. It felt unthinkable to me that, you know, I'd be able to compete at the Big Ten level at that age. But once I got into it, I recognized, okay, I can. I can get it done at this size and at this age, but now, and I was, I was, approximately 240 pounds my true freshman year but you look across the board here and I was around A.J. Epinesa because I called the, the All-American Bowl every year for NBC and A.J. played in that game a couple of years back and of course I know his dad, Epinesa Epinesse was a friend of mine, we played together Epinesse a few years older than me but his senior year was my freshman year we were both the, the number two defensive ends on the squad that year in 97 and A.J. is he's, he's just his mechanics at the position have grown so much over the years and it's nice to see him going from just a big strong sort of effort player to a guy who's very mechanically sound as a run defender and a pass rusher and so across the front on the defensive line they do a nice job rotating a number of different guys through up front they've been able to keep that tradition even in in years past back in the 90s there weren't a great Iowa team all the time we would always put talent into the National Football League on the defensive front. That's a position that's always been of of respect within the program. Uh, you got a crop right now that's certainly keeping that going, but their their frames, their body types are a little bit different. You see a lot of guys, 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", along the defensive front. You've got some, some skyscrapers there defending the run and rushing the quarterback, and so it's fun to watch them play.
0: Yeah, we'll see if that defense can help. Carry the Hawkeyes to Indy, like you said. There's a little bit of a, a pass still for them, uh, Northwestern, and Iowa both uh, have some tough games still to go, and they still got to play each other, so it'll be interesting to watch, both east and west, see how that plays out in the last month of the season. Anthony, I want to close before I let you go with a uh, pizza question, since we also had Andy Staples of SI in this episode and talked plenty of fine dining with him. So I want to stick with the food theme uh, before we sign off here. And your, your Twitter bio says you're a pizza snob, so... I'm going to put you on the spot. I want you to give me uh, your top two or three pizza places here in Chicago. I'll start with, uh, an un,
2: uh, with, an, with an overrated spot. I know there's a lot of folks who like the, the burnt crust uh, pizza with, with the deep dish. I'm not, I'm not so fond of that one. I, I think that for me, I would rate number one Giordano's, and I live downtown in Chicago, and Giordano's is my favorite spot in the Chicago area. There's another suburban Chicago place called Papa's Pizza, that I'm really fond of it. They don't necessarily do a deep dish pizza, but they do what they call a double-decker pizza, where you essentially stack two very flavorful uh, slices of pizza on top of each other and make that into a full pie. So I'm really fond of that. And I would say my number three-ranked pizza place, just to go with a thin crust spot because I... While I'm a pizza snob, I don't really want to just keep myself in any one individual lane. So for Thin Crust, I mean for Thin Crust, I go to Aurelio's. That's a pizza spot that I think maybe has the best Thin Crust in town. i, I say it's comparable uh, with a place that's around the corner from where I live actually called Flo and Santos. It's got some great Thin Crust, but I would give Aurelio's a slight edge with the Thin Crust over Flo and Santos.
0: All right, now I'm hungry after you uh, dropping those names right there. Uh, And I'm actually lied. I got one more question for you, and that's uh, uh, regarding your Bears coverage. I need to know, as a Bears fan myself, will the Bears make the playoffs this year?
2: I think they will. And it's not because the rest of the division in the NFC North is going to falter. I just think by the end of the season we're going to see a Bears team that continues to improve nonstop. Will they win the division by the end? I don't necessarily think that yet. I think the Minnesota Vikings are going to get things figured out with the depth of talent they have on that roster and the amount of guys who returned from their playoff run last year and adding Kirk Cousins into the mix. I do see the Vikings winning the division by the end of the year, but I think the Bears will end up making the playoffs. I think Chicago, Minnesota, and Green Bay will all end up representing the NFC in postseason play in some form or fashion and uh you know folks who who like to follow me whether it's on twitter or instagram you can also use the hashtag antbites because the reason alex asked me about my food takes is not just pizza i tend to do a lot of travel videos and photos when i'm on the road and and eating and i have a great time doing that and letting folks know where i like to dine when i'm on the move
0: yeah hit them up at big ant heron anthony really appreciate you Jumping on today, fit me in your busy schedule. Looking forward to tuning in to Big Ten this morning on Sirius XM 372. And looking forward to following your coverage the rest of the season uh, in the Big Ten and beyond. So appreciate it, man.
2: Yeah, really looking forward to it. It's been a great start to the show so far. And then who knows, as we move forward here in the near future, perhaps we'll even be able to get some things simulcast. And I can get back into the BTN studios and get the radio show on television. there, have the Big Ten Network. That's kind of my, my growth plan. My next goal is to get back with my old boss at the BTN to see if we can make that happen.
0: There we go. Let's make it happen, man. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll definitely be, be following you regardless. Thanks a lot, out. All right, thanks once again, to Anthony, for joining me. Always uh, love listening to him on Chicago's Airwaves or wherever you can find him in sports media. And I uh, really enjoyed having him on this show for the first time, hopefully not the last. All right, we'll wrap up now with our stat-head segment, which we do every week with BTN researcher Harold Shelton. Goes behind the numbers in Big Ten football, breaks down what happened in the previous week, and looks ahead to the weekend um, coming up here in Big Ten football. And it's a big one. Has national implications, has... The 10 race implications and we get into it all the scenarios all the good stuff right now btn researcher harold shelton all right back again with btn's in-house stat head harold shelton h another week another uh exciting weekend of college football and, and things are tightening up now as we get here in the home stretch so first off how you holding up as we get in the last month of the season here?
3: I'm good. You know, this is definitely the, the start of the stretch run for me. It uh, definitely gets busier once the rankings come out. And uh, in addition to just the normal workload, the rankings adds a whole different wrinkle. So uh, definitely a busy time, but
0: this is the fun time of year. Yeah, my inbox is blowing up with different scenarios from you, you know. <laughs> And I keep teasing it, but I swear we're going to talk hoops on here coming up pretty soon. We'll get well, it. Done. that starts next week, so here we go. All right, so we'll keep this strictly football today, but we'll get into hoops eventually here on uh, the podcast. But like I said, let's let's stick to football, and we'll open it up with kind of the topic tour here: the college football playoff rankings that came out. Uh, if you're listening to this Thursday, it would have been two nights ago, but we're talking Wednesday, so last night. Uh, I've talked about the rankings with my other two guests in this episode, but definitely a noteworthy topic, so we'll get into it with H as well. So I want to get your general thoughts. Uh, you know, Big Ten got four teams in, starting with number five, Michigan, going down the line to number 10, Ohio State, number 14, Penn State, and number 16, Iowa. So off the top, was it a fair placement for the Big Ten, and, and how did it relate to some of the other conferences, power five teams that uh, are up alongside?
3: Uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty favorable, thought it was pretty fair uh, for the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan at five seems to you know be a logical place. I, I, you know, obviously lost to Notre Dame, who's ahead of them and still undefeated, second highest uh, one loss team. You know, behind LSU, who has a ton of good wins. Um, if you look at Michigan's resume, it's very interesting. I think they got by mostly on I test, which is well deserved. They've been playing really, really well ever since the Notre Dame loss. Uh, but if you look, they're the only team in the top ten that doesn't have a win against a team that's currently ranked by the committee. So, the fact that they're still five despite that is a really good sign uh, if you're a Michigan fan. Um, They still have no work ahead of them with Penn State and Ohio State. So, if they're able to get those two key wins, get the Indy, you know, win the Big Ten, you know, a lot of stuff is still in front of them. Um, I'm curious about Iowa. You know, I wonder what would have happened and where would they be ranked if they would have held on last week against Penn State. Right. Because in the AP, they're 19th. They're 16th in the committee this week. If they would have won that game at Penn State, you'd argue that they would have had a better resume than Ohio State. They would have had a legit
0: chance mm-hmm. at this thing, but it was an opportunity to let slip away. Yeah, let that one slip away, let the one against Wisconsin slip away. Two losses that are nothing to be ashamed of, but could end up costing them a chance at a Big Ten title and of a college football playoff berth. So like you said, Michigan, everything's in front of them to play their way in. We'll be following the rankings closely. They'll be shuffled a bit, I'm sure, after this weekend, and we'll talk more about it next week. But sure. let's get to what happened on the field this past weekend. Really, is the weekend of the backup quarterback. A lot of uh, backups being thrust into the spotlight. Had some solid performances out of Minnesota and Michigan State, and a not so solid one at Wisconsin. So, what stood out to you, uh, especially with these backups being thrown in the fire? Ah, seems like good coaching by uh,
3: P.J. Fleck and Mark Dantonio, and the, the guys on those staffs having them ready. Um, I thought both definitely played well. They played to their strengths, both mobile guys. You got to see them out on the run making throws, making plays with their legs as well. Um, and I, I don't want to say it's quarterback controversy type stuff, but it seems like the offense definitely moves better with Morgan uh, back there instead of Annex now, again, Annex has been battling an ankle injury for a while, even before, you know, he got knocked out of the Nebraska game, so I don't want to, you know, be too much of a knee-jerk reaction guy, but the offense definitely seemed to move much better with Morgan in the game. Uh, as for Michigan State, the way Rocky Lombardi played, it makes me wonder why you didn't see him the week before, knowing that Brian Lewerke was injured, not just hurt, but the fact that he had an a injured throwing shoulder and decided to still play. Uh, through it and you could see five for 25 trying to fight his way through it um, it makes you wonder what the game would have looked like if he would have played I'm not saying they would have won but it, you know I think the offense might have looked a little different
0: yeah and some significant results over the weekend Northwestern won by two touchdowns over Wisconsin Penn State beat Iowa like we mentioned in Michigan State cooled off Purdue who had uh, won four straight before that And sometimes, you know, as you get toward the end of the season, it comes into focus a little bit, the picture of what maybe the Big Ten championship outlook's going to look like. Right now, although Northwestern has a a one-and-a-half game lead, they're definitely in the driver's seat, there's still a lot to play out in the West and the East as well. So let's keep in the West and kind of frame our discussion of these past weekend's games around that. Did it surprise you that Northwestern was able to beat Wisconsin, even though Wisconsin had their backup playing, Jack Cohn, Northwestern – it's such an up-and-down team. They, they've played a lot better lately, but, again, they almost lost to Rutgers the week before that. So we'll start there. Uh, how did Northwestern pull this off? And, and maybe projecting the next week, are you seeing them uh, on a bit of a roll here as they face their toughest test coming up? Uh, I'm not surprised they won. I'm surprised that the margin. I mean, they
3: pretty much controlled the whole game. Wisconsin went up early, and I want to say Northwestern scored 31 in the next 34 after trailing 7 nothing. Uh, The fact that they were able to just completely shut down Jonathan Taylor, caused a couple fumbles, you know, the lowest rushing yards he's ever had in a regular season game, that was surprising. The fact that uh, Isaiah Bowser outrushed Jonathan Taylor was surprising. Great name. Uh, Absolutely. Especially for running back, that's a perfect running back. Absolutely. Mario Kart, shout out. Um, But, yeah, it was just surprising to me to see Northwestern win again with Clayton Thorson not playing well. That's two straight weeks a team that hasn't been able to run the ball, been able to run it just enough to keep defenses honest, and now they're in the driver's seat. I mean, I know they're having one-and-a-half game lead. They still have Iowa left, but, you know, they'll be rooting big for Purdue this week. You know, if Purdue can knock off Iowa, they're a win away from beating Iowa and going to Indy with two weeks left to play.
0: Yeah, so kind of get into that West race a little deeper if you could. I mean, you laid it out pretty well there, but with – Iowa and Purdue both losing, definitely some missed opportunities there for them to seize control of the West. Besides that Northwestern and Iowa game and then the uh, Purdue game this weekend, what really has to happen for Northwestern to either take command or another team to get back in it? Uh, I mean, if Northwestern
3: beats iowa i mean they're pretty much in great shape they Mm -hmm. would just have to split their last two games between with minnesota and illinois because they would already have the tiebreaker over wisconsin over purdue over iowa since they would have beaten all three in that scenario so
0: regardless that's what wildcat fans need to look for right right Right.
3: if if they beat iowa they are in fantastic shape uh if purdue wins this week considering that they already have the head-to-head over purdue Mm -hmm. and over wisconsin they would if they beat Iowa they pretty much they would go at that point no matter what happens with the Minnesota and Illinois games uh, they definitely could use an Iowa loss so if Iowa wins if they went out then they're gonna go to Indy because they would have the tiebreaker over Northwestern again and I should I'm kind of jumping myself here I'm assuming another Wisconsin loss since Wisconsin has to play Penn State still right I assume that they'll probably lose that game Iowa's in great shape as long as they're not in a tie with Wisconsin because of that head-to-head. Mm-hmm. So, pretty much, if Iowa can win out and Wisconsin loses, then Iowa will go. If Northwestern wins out or if Northwestern beats Iowa and splits their last two, they'll go. Wisconsin and Purdue are in big, big trouble. They need a lot of things to happen, and they probably have the two toughest schedules remaining.
0: Yeah, it's scenario season, this couple of weeks before the— Big Ten title game and then the uh, lead-up to the Big Ten tournament is always what I enjoy because there's oh, yeah. <laughs> so many scenarios I <laughs> have to play out. Uh, so we kind of covered the West Pass to Indy. How about in the East? We had the two big dogs sitting out this past week in Michigan and Ohio State, but how did that picture come into focus, if at all? I mean, with Penn State beating Iowa and, and you know, still not being out of it on that side. Michigan, though, being undefeated, just has to take care of business. they there. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think
3: the, if Michigan wins out, they go. Mm-hmm. If Ohio State wins out, they go. It's pretty simple with those two. Uh, if Penn State were to win this week, it gets a little more interesting. It would keep Penn State and Michigan State both still alive. If uh, Michigan State still has to play Ohio State, if they were able to get in a three-way tie with Michigan and Ohio State, they would actually win that tiebreaker due to better division record. Uh, but if Michigan wins Saturday, it pretty much – blocks everybody else out and then you just have the mega game in Columbus at the end of the year
0: right and it's crazy you know as we go week after week here I would kind of bring up Northwestern as either trying to dig out of that hole they created for themselves or not really giving them credit for almost beating Michigan more like framing it as what's wrong with Michigan and now if you can believe it they're in the driver's seat like we said for the West Division title I, I assume you didn't really see this playing out the way it has in the last few weeks or so
3: no, it was interesting. I thought that after they beat Michigan State, kind of looking at the schedule, like, okay, well, they got Nebraska, they got Rutgers. If they're able to get those, then you're looking at hosting Wisconsin with a real shot, especially since they already beat Purdue. But people kind of forgot because it happened so early. You know, but since they lost games to Akron and they looked so bad against Duke and then they lose to Michigan after blowing a 17-point lead, you're like, oh, well, they're 1-3, who cares, you know, kind of a lost season. But that win against Purdue back in week one holds so much weight now, as we see.
0: Right. And, you know, it's kind of a game you almost forget about. It was week one. It was, a, it was hype at the time. Then non-conference kind of washes it all away, at least in my dumb brain, short-term memory, <laughs> style of memory and things. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up and how it's kind of shaping the race as we move along here. Um, let's look ahead now. and We'll keep it on Northwestern because they have one of the most intriguing games of the weekend, not only in the Big Ten, but in the entire country. They host Notre Dame. Um, it, it's interesting, one of my superiors here, uh, Michael Calderone, one of our vice presidents, uh, he brought up an interesting point that Northwestern, you know, stands to, if they were just to forfeit the game and not even play, that might be in their best interest if, like, you know, you were simulating the season or something like that, there wasn't pride and all that at stake because, really, it has no bearing on their season. They're not going to make the playoff and the Big Ten title race that they're in can only be... Harmed if they get someone hurt, so that's kind of a, just a funny outlook on it. But uh, they are going to obviously take the field against Notre Dame, and I want you to tell me about Notre Dame and what Northwestern is up against. Because basically, as, as an outsider, I know they're good. I know they have a good defense. I know they switch quarterbacks to Ian Book, and that's about it. So, how does Northwestern match up with this team, and how do they compete Saturday night? Yeah, so Notre Dame, as we talked about,
3: one of four undefeated teams left in the country. Probably have the best win in America right now with the win over Michigan. Mm-hmm. But obviously, that was a long time ago. That was with Brandon Wimbush at quarterback. They kind of sputtered along with him uh, the next couple of games against Ball State and Vanderbilt, barely escaping those. So they made the switch to Ian Book. They've been averaging over 40 points a game since he's been starting. You know, blowout wins against Stanford and Virginia Tech. Um, just pounded Navy. Now, I'll be curious to see, you know, what Notre Dame is like Coming back from San Diego, long flight back. They yep. got a lot of crisscross uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, with I the talked game about that New with the Staples on their in California. On their the travel schedule, yeah. They only have one true home game left. So be curious to see if there's any any kind of letdown jet lag kind of stuff. But uh, I'd say on the field, be curious to see if Northwestern can can run it against this Notre Dame defense. It's really good. Um, they completely shut down Carron Higdon and that Michigan offense mm-hmm. in week one. You know, Khalid Kareem is an animal, a defensive end. So I don't know if Northwestern will be able to run it like they have the last couple of weeks. And I wouldn't say it's great, but they've been able to control time of possession that way. They might need the Clayton Thurston that throws it 40, 50 times and, you know, gets 300 yards to have a shot.
0: Sure will be a lot of Golden Domers in the stands. Oh, for sure. Yeah, this, this town is... Swarmed with Notre Dame fans even on a regular Saturday, so uh, it'll be interesting to see. Cats could do a Big Ten a solid. They, they could. They, if they
3: knock off Notre Dame, that opens it up for Michigan and Ohio State, and you know the Big Twelve. And
0: so, is it that simple though? That if Notre Dame loses, you don't think they're getting in, even though they beat Michigan? Would they get in over. You don't think they get in over Michigan if both were sitting there with one? Well, else? I think it becomes a discussion.
3: Mm-hmm. I think an undefeated Notre Dame at this point, I think, is an absolute lock to get in. Yep. If they lose. In a, they're, it's a head-to-head with Michigan situation. If Michigan winds up with a better resume, would the head-to-head matter as much since it happened so long ago? Then you have the common opponent thing. We mm-hmm. saw Michigan win at Northwestern. If Notre Dame loses at Northwestern, how does committee view that? So I think it just becomes a discussion. Uh, Notre Dame's schedule to start the year looked very daunting. Right now it's not. Right. They don't have a ranked team. Actually, Syracuse is the only ranked team remaining. Um, and the only one they've beaten so far is Michigan, so I think if Northwestern were to win, it would open things up for a lot of the uh, the other one-loss teams across the country.
0: All right, We'll see, and we'll also uh, have our eyes on another big game. Uh, the team we just talked a lot about, Michigan, taking on Penn State, and uh, discussed this a little bit with our previous guests here, but Penn State put a whooping on Michigan last year. That was in Happy Valley. This game's in Ann Arbor and teams are obviously very different Michigan's more dynamic on offense Michigan's defense is better and Penn State's defense has not looked as strong plus you know there's all the variables of Penn State's departure so do you think James Franklin and Penn State will still have Michigan's number at all there's this, just a completely wipe slate new game what are you looking for out of both teams and where do you think each team has the edge in this one?
3: See, it's funny, like last year, you know, we, we talk a lot about last year's game in 42-13, but we kind of forget that the year before, Michigan beat them 49-10 mm-hmm. in Ann Arbor, and Michigan's kind of owned Penn State in Ann Arbor. Uh, even when they were down, they were still beating Penn State. So, I would, if anything, I would say Michigan has had their number, you know, last year notwithstanding. Um, I'm sure Michigan remembers that, as Chase Winovich has talked about his revenge yeah. tour, uh, you know, for the last few weeks or so. Uh, they're 2-0 and on that so far. You know, Penn State, obviously, next on the list. We'll see if uh, they can back that up. I'll be curious to see if Penn State can stop Michigan from running it. Um, their total defense-wise, Penn State's been pretty good, but they've allowed some rushing yards to Indiana. They've allowed some to Iowa. You know, teams that haven't been great running the ball, and Michigan absolutely wants to control time of possession and run it and run it and run it and wear, it and wear you down. I'll be curious to see if Penn State can stop that. If they can I think it could get ugly.
0: Yeah, Michigan, I just feel like, has that juice right now. You know, they're kind of seeing everything open up in front of them. They're cocky. They're confident. It's kind of them against everyone. I I just feel like in sports, you know, it's it's debatable whether momentum is a thing. But in a sport like football where, you know, confidence can play such a key in performance, I think there's something to be said about that, and I think Michigan – Whatever it is, it has been gaining steam this last month or so, and they'll come out, and I don't think they'll be, uh, you know, overwhelmed or intimidated or anything by anything that Penn State does. So I I kind of agree. I think Michigan is going to control this one. Um,
3: But you never know with Penn State. They're explosive. Yeah, Trace will have to be special, I think. Um, And then we saw him leave the game last week. He did come back. He did run for a long touchdown, but he's still a little gimpy. You just wonder how, you know, that leg is feeling coming into this one. You know, they're going to be facing the best defense they faced all year. I mean, he's going to have to make plays, big plays, because I don't know if they could just have a sustained drive. I think they're going to have to hit mm-hmm. Hamler for a 70-yarder. They're going to have to Sanders. get, you know, Miles Sanders on a long game. You know, and that was kind of the recipe last year. Like, you know, Saquon, you know, first second play was to the house. You know, mm-hmm. Kosicki was huge plays. You know, I think they're going to have to hit some of those to, in order to win this game, and they just haven't had enough of those this year.
0: Right. All right, before we wrap up, I want to get your thoughts on any other matchups coming up this weekend. I know uh, we have bowl eligibility on the line two five-win teams in Michigan State and Maryland. Uh, DJ Durkin, sounds like he's returning to the sidelines for that one, as far as we know. Um, and Iowa and Purdue, we talked about it a little bit. There's a handful of other games. What will you be keeping an eye on this weekend, aside from those marquee matchups that we talked about? I'm looking to see
3: Ohio State. You know, they've had the week off. Everybody's talking about how bad their defense is. Mm -hmm. The last time we saw them, they gave up 49 to Purdue. I think Rondell Moore just scored again as we're talking (laughs) about it right now. So, you know, how do they adjust? They're going to face a very explosive Nebraska offense. You know, Adrian Martinez is a guy that can cause them problems. They haven't gotten to the quarterback as much without Nick Bosa. You know, I think it's a game Ohio State should win, but – You know, if they give up, you know, 30 points, if they give up 500 yards, you know, we'll see if anything is fixed. And if that's the case, I think there's just more questions going forward. And, you know, it creates more and more doubt that this team could turn it around and get to the playoff.
0: Yeah, fascinating dynamic going on there with Urban Meyer coming out with his, um, you know, disclosing his health issues this week and questions about if he'll be coaching next year. A lot of drama going on right now in the Big Ten, so a lot of stuff off the field that we haven't really touched on, but uh, you know, numbers don't lie, numbers uh, don't have any drama, so uh, I'm glad we, we covered those today. And, and before I wrap up, I do want to mention that BT and Tailgate will be at Michigan for uh, the big game this weekend. Mm-hmm. I always want to plug them. Oh, yeah, and uh, I don't know anything else, H, you want to touch on before we get on out of here?
3: Uh, again, I guess another game Iowa Purdue. I think Iowa Purdue has so much weight on this West race. If Purdue wins, I think the door is absolutely wide open for Northwestern. They literally have to fall on their face not to get to Indy if that happens. If Iowa wins that game, then that game on the 10th, when they host Northwestern, could wind up being for all the marbles. And I think Northwestern fans should be, you know, wearing their higher hats, boiler (laughs) up,
0: hammer down, the whole thing. How about those contrasting styles, though, with Iowa and Purdue? It's like... Completely. Iowa wants to play you in Although, the phone booth. And... I will say, Iowa <laughs> and their trick plays lately has been uh, getting me hyped because I feel like a couple of years ago it was like, oh, like, this is so not new Kirk. Kirk Ferentz, yeah, new Kirk. New Kirk. Yeah, this is so out of character. Now it's like come to it expect might have been it out too of much there. New
3: Kirk mm-hmm. last week. There's a couple of those that might have cost him some points.
0: Well, you know what? Shoot your shot, is what I say. Jeff Brom does it. Kirk's been <laughs> doing it. He definitely does. So that'll be That's a good one right. to watch. H, uh, let you get out of here and, and we'll be following the games this weekend sure we'll be talking about a ton more of exciting stuff. Next weekend, we're sitting here, same time, same place. Oh, yeah, a whole lot more clarity after this weekend for sure. All right, H, thanks, man. No problem. All right, thanks one more time to Harold, Anthony, and Andy for joining me. Uh, Had a lot of fun chopping it up with all three of those guys, all three really knowledgeable, fun to talk to, and hope you had fun listening to not only the food discussion but the college football talk as well. All right, I just want to give one more shout-out before I sign off here to everyone who helps me here produce and put together the Take 10 podcast, my team of Julie Bronder, Wes White, both producers, and my assistant producer, Colleen Degnan, who helps out as well. Uh, really couldn't do it without them. Huge help every week, so shout-out to them. And shout-out to all the listeners. Hope you've uh, enjoyed our football coverage. We'll continue to provide football coverage. We'll talk some basketball hopefully next week here on the Take 10 podcast as well and we'll sprinkle in some miscellaneous guests as we move along. Thanks a lot to everyone out there for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week here on the Take 10 Podcast.